It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week on Fox Top 5, Fox News political editor and co-host of the I'll Tell You What podcast, Chris Steyerwald. So in an earlier time, this story would have ricocheted around newspapers and been picked up here and then run there. And Fox News correspondent and Washington Times opinion editor, Charlie Hurd. And I remember, I'll never forget when that scandal broke. Come together to share their top five campaign scandals. Here are this week's hosts, Chris and Charlie. Welcome to Fox Top 5. I'm Chris Steyerwald, Fox News Politics Editor, and I'm co-host of the I'll Tell You What podcast. And today I am joined by my friend, uh, former editor, my children's favorite adult, uh, Fox News contributor and Washington Times opinion editor, Charlie Hurt. Uh, Brother Hurt, uh, uh, good to be with you today. Good to be with you, Chris, as always. As always, quite so. Um, Today we're going to talk about political scandals, and it seems quaint now, kind of, doesn't it, to talk about uh, political scandals because it's almost like scandals don't matter anymore, right? The news cycles happen so <laughs> fast, right? The, the news cycle happens so fast that about the time you've just really got an appetite for one, you've moved on to something else. Yeah, I, and I, actually, I don't know what we're going to do once this era of whatever it is is over. Because I don't want to go back to covering like lame, like committee hearings and, 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 and slow politics where you go days and days without somebody doing something, something jail worthy. That's um, right. It just, it's, it's, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be fun anymore. Well, well, every week on this podcast, Fox hosts, reporters and personalities, I guess we meet that uh, very low bar. If you define personalities low enough, we meet the bar. <laughs> Uh, get together to you share their personality. T- you, you, are, you have a great personality. And so do you, I should say. I was teasing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they get together to share their top five on any given topic. And we. Wait a minute. Was that an attack? You attacked me. I didn't even. Mi- I missed it. It went what? right over my head. I didn't even. I didn't even that? notice it. What was the attack? I don't know. You. I don't know. I missed it. I just, you said that, you know, you, you, you seem to want to correct yourself. And say, oh, no, I have a good personality as if I had just. No, we, you do, too. I was, I was saying both of us had both of us have limited. Oh, person. I was joking. Okay. Both of us. Okay. But we okay. should acknowledge that we were uh, damned with faint praise. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what it says about you us. For your looks and your personality. <laughs> That's what I'm here just for. Is just eye candy, which is why it's a broadcast <laughs> audio broadcast. I don't know what it says about us that they chose us for this topic, but I, that's fine. That's fine. So here's <laughs> train wreck versus train wreck. Here's so, here. So when, when they thought of scandal, they thought of us. Um, but the idea here is we're going to go through, we're going to count down our top five, five, four, three, two, one. Correct me. You're cause, cause, cause see, we both took all the same history classes. The difference yep. is um, you were awake and took notes and, uh, you or maybe you just you have this iron trap brain, so you actually remembered everything. I can't remember. I remember like the big picture stuff. I don't remember all the details as well as I should. So, so I know you're going to go through and correct all of mine. I'm the, but- I'm the only person who ever flunked out of Hamden Sydney College uh, while still getting an <laughs> A in history. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start number five. My number five is the Reverend Jeremiah Wright. 
The chickens have come home to roost. God blank America. Uh, This was in 2008 uh, while Barack Obama was still in the primary with Hillary Clinton. And, you know, this is what makes this so interesting to me is a couple things. It's we have all the documentation to it because Obama wrote like 50 autobiographies before he ran for president. But in his book, Dreams of My Father, talking about living in a world where he was black, he was white, his father was from Africa, is he really African-American, all this stuff. But by the time he's with his uh, future wife, Michelle, and they're starting a family, uh, they join Reverend Wright's church on the south side of Chicago, a black Baptist church of the of the highest order. Uh, and Jeremiah Wright, the pastor there, is a real bomb thrower. So it was a big part of him becoming rooted in the African-American community there. But then as he's running for president and Hillary Clinton and her team are looking for ways to identify him as being outside of the mainstream, right? This Barack Hussein Obama, this other guy, uh, they they get the, the I be, you will remember better than I will probably, get the audio, I think, of Jeremiah Wright uh, and after 9-11 talking about how this is what America deserved they say god bless america we say god blank america uh the chickens have come home to roost and all of this stuff and it turns into this huge conflagration for obama yeah no that's a great one i i uh wish i had thought of that myself uh yeah and and you know what was interesting i I remember i was covering so i was at the new york post at the time and so we had since we had two hometown heroes running at the same time we had hillary rodham clinton who was our sitting senator and we had Rudy Giuliani, uh, ex-mayor of New York City, both the favorite to win. The f- Rudy Giuliani, yep. the favorite to but win. He was, he was, and remember his strategy. He was going to stay out of uh, Iowa and New Hampshire because and South Carolina. But he was, and South Carolina. But he was gonna, he was gonna sweep the floor in Florida and everywhere else. And he did not, his broom did not reach the floor in nope. uh, in Florida. That's right. But um, but so so we had somebody covering Giuliani full time and we had somebody co- covering Hillary Clinton full time. And so that left this guy with the funny middle name with nobody to cover. So and I was bureau chief of D.C. of Washington, the D.C. bureau chief for the Post. And so I was like, well, I'll just take this guy and cover him. And uh, which wound up being uh, he went to distance, as they say. And I remember I'll never forget that uh, when that scandal broke. And he called a press conference yep. in Philadelphia at Independence Hall, and he set us all down there. And he said, and he he delivered what I thought at that time was the most interesting and engaging and and daring political speech, where he just said, "I will never back down from this. I will never disassociate myself from this guy. He's a part of who I am. I could no more disown yep. Reverend Wright than I could my own uncle, my own family, my, no, my own white mother." And my own white mother. Was, that's right. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, whether you like this guy or not, he's got a set of cojones to be admired. That's why I picked this, because it just goes to show you that if you are a nimble politician, you can turn a scandal into advantage. So here's this thing that yeah. looks like it's hitting him b- below the waterline. Yeah. And in that speech in Philadelphia where you were, he was brash, but he was brash about being very American and very Christian. And yeah. uh, in, yeah. and the, the reason he used the scandal to get away from allegations that is he really a Muslim? What is he, you remember Hillary Clinton that said, 
Well, I, I yeah. guess I'll take his word for it. She said, <laughs> when asked whether or not he was a Muslim, so, so then, he used this to root himself course, in the also, Christian experience. And I totally, and I, I agree with you. Uh, it, it was, and I wouldn't say nimble. It was a, it was a stick your chin out toughness that was like, screw everybody. I'm sticking with it. And, there you go. Uh, but of course, what happens, whatever, four months, five months later, he then bails on Reverend Wright. Totally. At a, at a, like, I don't know that at guy. Another, at another, <laughs> well, so that, all right, so. That's, so that's, that's my number five. Reason. Now you, we need yeah, your number so, five. So, yeah, well, mine stinks um, because it's not, it's, it's really not as good. Well, to be clear, I wanted every one of mine, actually all, all one through five, to all be just Jimmy Carter. And that's I mean. advised that the, the rule, oh, it's correct. It's not, but, it, but it's not mean enough. Um, and I am, I am, uh, but I've been advised that the rules do not allow me to name a person as, as a, scandal. a political scandal. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to instead go with Monica Lewinsky. Um, that, that, and, and the thing there was, I guess there are two things that I think are important about it. One is that it, it, it was important because of the way it completely shattered the media landscape. Remember, it was Newsweek mm-hmm. that had the story, and they were gonna, you know, it was this this uh, gross story about uh, about about Bubba Clinton in the, in the Oval Office having relations with this intern. Um, and at the end of the day, Newsweek started to freak out, and they didn't want to run it. And a cyber sleuth named Matt Drudge was uh, willing to pick up the table scraps, the crumbs that fell off the table, heard about it, got wind of it, got some emails about it, and uh, had no compunction whatsoever about running with it. And running with it, he did. And of course, it uh, completely, and, I, and, and you know, there's a lot of, um, there's debate out there about how revolutionary Matt Drudge was with the Drudge Report because you could make the argument that if he hadn't done this, somebody else would. And that mm-hmm. is true. Somebody else would have come along to to revolutionize the news business because it was it was waiting to be revolutionized. The, the tra- so, I don't know, Charlie. The, the trajectory day, would have been very different. I think the trajectory would have been very different. And, and he is the one who did it. And he did it with uh, this particular scandal. And of course, you know, as these things go, I, I, I can't ever mention the Monica Lewinsky scandal without uh, also including the Mimi Alford scandal, which was which uh, puts the lie to Camelot. And uh, let's never forget that it was it was JFK who took a young intern working for him who uh, defiled her in the. In, in the White House swimming pool, which is now where the White House press room is, Charlie, and had, and actually, not only, not only defi- had, uh, not only did he defile her, he had her do things that, that should Oops. not have been done in his presence in the pool. All right, I we get the picture. We know what you mean. Okay. We, we know, yep. we know what you mean. I, you know, and the thing about uh, Drudge and Lewinsky and all of that. You can see the trajectory that the story would have taken for Bill Clinton, which is that it would have dribbled out, little here, little there. There would have been a story. I think there was a girl, whatever. There would have been whispers. It would have been in gossip columns and stuff like that. And by the time 
more of it was revealed, it would have been, it would have lost its thwack, right? But this way, and with Hillary Clinton going on uh, the Today Show the next day uh, with Matt Lauer, uh, <laughs> ironically, uh, both her husband and Matt Lauer <laughs> undone now by Me Too, um, that she would be on the next day and have to answer the question and say, yes, he should. My favorite moment there is she says, well, of course, if he did the things that they were saying he did, of course, he would have to resign. Well, he did do all the things and he did not resign. Um, and what's funny to me about all of it now, what Drudge did, what Lucianne Goldberg did, what Drudge did and blowing that story up didn't really have its full consequence for 20 years because it's only been recently that Democrats and Republicans, like Republicans before, have come to terms with how monstrous the behavior of Bill Clinton was and how totally unacceptable. And that was a time when National Organization for Women and other groups came forward to defend Clinton uh, for uh, a, right. to a totally impossible relationship between the president of the United States and a 21-year-old intern. Give me a break. Number four. Okay, my number four, speaking of uh, sex scandals and Democratic politicians, uh, Gary Hart. Gary Hart, mm. the, 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 I hate to say it, but what a dope. <laughs> the, so for people who- Monkey business. Yes, that was the name of the boat. And the, the story of Gary Hart, so Gary Hart was the liberal heartthrob in the 1980s. Democrats lost five out of six presidential elections between 1968 and 1988. Uh, and Gary Hart, a Western liberal, handsome, the hair, oh my gosh, the hair. Uh, since Kennedy, Democrats have had this thing about handsome, telegenic, young liberal candidates. And they went for, they were going for Gary Hart, senator from Colorado in a big way. And there was all of this excitement gathering around what was supposed to be his 1988 candidacy. And it was a big deal, right? And then rumors start that he is seeing a woman who is not Mrs. Hart. Uh, and the rumors are circulating and rumors are circulating. Uh, and he says famously to the press, the bunch of jackals, he didn't call them jackals, but he said, follow me. You'll be bored stiff. I'm not doing anything. I don't care. I've got nothing to hide from you people. So they did. And he did have something to hide. And then the picture came out. Um, why am I drawing a blank on her name? Well, the, the, but the photograph of this very attractive, very blonde, very young woman sitting on his lap on board a party boat called the monkey business. And in Hart's case, you know, and we're seeing this now in the 2020 election in the North Carolina Senate race. Uh, we certainly saw with Bill Clinton, extramarital affairs do not have to mean death necessarily in a presidential campaign, but it certainly is death when you brag, right? When you say, I've got nothing to hide Donna, from you people. Donna Rice. Donna Rice. I've got nothing to hide Donna from Rice. you people. This is how dare you, sir. And then they dared and he was found out. They made a movie about this scandal that I went to see not too long ago looking for some insight. And basically what they said was, this is when the press turned to the politics of personal destruction. And they used to look the other way on dalliances and wasn't that better. But you know, Lyndon Johnson- John F. Kennedy. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson and John Kennedy did not go have a press conference and swear <laughs> 
that they were faithful to their wives and that everybody should follow them around. Now, it is true, reportedly, that Lyndon Johnson said to the press that he would be fooling around on his wife, just like JFK did, and he expected the same privileges. But Gary Hart takes my award for the dopiest dope uh, in dealing with these yeah. kinds of things. Uh, that's a great one. My number my number four would be the uh, the Chinese campaign contribution scandal in 1990. Yes, where uh, you had Al Gore. Uh, and, and, and of course, this was 1999. This was... So, well, set the, so, this set the stage. Uh, Bill Clinton had been under scrutiny for his campaign finance violations, the selling of the Lincoln bedroom, stuff like that. And now Al Gore is yeah, teeing up his date. presidential run. I'm getting the date. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm getting the dates wrong. But but you, you look at it, you fast forward to today and you, you look back and you say, OK, well, and, and I get it. You know, campaign finance stuff can be very, you know, it's, it's very elusive trying to figure out exactly what the importance of these things are. And so what was it? Why were so many people in China so eager to contribute massive amounts of money to American politicians back in the 1990s? Well, uh, fast forward to today, and you know, and when you look at the geopolitical landscape, it it, it seems to be uh, a little bit clearer in hindsight. Well, the we have these laws that forbid uh, foreign contributions to campaigns. Uh, both parties have gotten in trouble with it over time, but the Clintons really. This is where the Buddhist. So the allegation was Buddhist temples were being used as drop points for checks for the DNC, for the Gore campaign, for the Democrats. Uh, this was Al Gore sort of at his worst because I don't know if you remember the key phrases. Uh, one was no controlling legal authority. So Gore, <laughs> That's right. so Gore said he did, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't right what we did, laundering this these foreign contributions. Uh, but there is no controlling legal authority, which is to say, uh, there were no, there are no cops in this city, so you can't. It, so maybe it's a crime, but you can't do anything about it. So tough luck. And but my favorite though was when he said he did in in the depositions. He says I, I wasn't there for that. I wasn't there for that part. And they said, well, where were you? And he said, uh, I was in the restroom. And they said, it seemed like you were in the restroom an awful lot. And he said, well, I drank a lot of iced tea. <laughs> See, you remember all these things. You were. You, you, uh, you, you, I was asleep during all this. I was in the restroom for all this. You, you were drinking iced tea with Al Gore in Earth Tones. The countdown continues after this. Number three. My yeah. number three, uh, I choose for its connection to my hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia, among other reasons, uh, which is Richard Milhouse Nixon taking bribes, being accused of payola, uh, and uh, then defending himself with the televised speech talking about his dog, Checkers. Uh, checkers. Checkers, the Cocker Spaniel. So Nixon, the uh, vice president, falls under scrutiny. It was mostly true for taking a lot of nicey nices uh, from his political patrons, especially in California. And is it's looking pretty bad. And Dwight Eisenhower liked things squeaky clean, right? He did not go in for any sort of funny business. And here is Nixon accused no monkey of- monkey business for Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, exactly. Ike was not into it. So it's 52, it's Nixon is 
this will sound funny to people now, but Nixon is the young, handsome uh, senator from California. And he is going to, uh, he, he is Ike's pick to add a little youth and geographical diversity. And Nixon was considered a stalwart Republican for all of his work busting commies and all that stuff. So Nixon is embroiled in the scandal and the assumption is he is gonna get dropped from the ticket. So Nixon asks to go on television. Now in those days, 52, this is the dawn of the television era. And the television, I choose this really because it shows how much television changed things. So in an earlier time, this story would have ricocheted around newspapers and been picked up here and then run there and the wires would have picked it up over there and it would have gone out over radio and the stench of scandal would have attached to Nixon. And by the time he could really try to address it, it would be too late, but he was able to get right on television and he denied things, some of which were probably true. And he said, but yes, we did take a gift and it was this dog, Checkers. And his daughters loved it and he wasn't giving it back either. So he, like you mentioned with Obama, was was defiant, right? He said, I didn't do anything wrong and I'm not giving it back. But he also employed the children and everybody, the Cocker Spaniel, uh, which was the golden doodle of its day, uh, uh, named Checkers, was very adorable, and the daughters. Now, my favorite thing about the story, of course, is Nixon, sweat on his upper lip, is desperate to uh, to hold Eisenhower down, right? Don't let Ike drop him. So he goes on an intercept course with Eisenhower, who himself uh, is out campaigning. This is like September, I think, who's out campaigning. And the nearest point of interception is at the Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. And you can look it up. There is a fast, there's a wonderful picture of, of Nixon leaping basically into Eisenhower's arms as Eisenhower comes off the plane because he needs that photograph, he needs that picture to cement it so that he won't get dropped off the ticket. That's awesome. And, and of course, anytime you're able to uh, wrench anything back to Wheeling, West Virginia, number three, drum roll, Jimmy Carter. Okay, it's not. Number three is the uh is john 2004 john Kerry is running for uh to beat uh george w bush um and uh so my number three is john Kerry's vote on the iraq war uh this was in in 2003 after 9 11 and there was enormous great unity in the country and everybody was you know, wanted to do something to to uh, to, to both uh, get back at the people that had launched 9-11, but also set up a new world order where we were going to clean house and uh, madmen in dangerous places with weapons of mass destruction would no longer be tolerated. And, and Democrats and Democrats uh, were terrified of George W. Bush's political clout. Yes, he was. Although his political clout was not nearly as bulletproof as his father's was. And look what happened to him. In, after, after the Kuwait Desert War, Storm. Yep. where he was, where, where and, and you are, the, Mr. Polster, I don't, I, you know how bad I am about polls, but it, it, if I remember correctly, uh, George H.W. Bush enjoyed 91, 93? 93, 93, yep. The highest Gallup-rated approval in the history of polling. Yep. And whatever that's worth, because he then turned right around and two and a half years later lost the election. Um, do you know, by the way, on George, H. W., on George H. W. Bush, do you know, yep. we were talking about this earlier today, 
that by the time he left office, his Gallup approval had climbed back up into to like 58% or something. So even as he was leaving office, Americans were like- after the election? Yeah, after the election, Americans were like, ooh, hmm, think that through. <laughs> well, and of course, think about it. I mean, of course, he wouldn't be president if it were, had not been for Ross Perot. Uh, George H.W. Bush would have won or, or so, so, why is, so why is so why is Kerry's vote a scandal? Lots of Democrats voted uh, for the Iraq War, like because Hillary he turned Clinton. Around because and oh come on, you know the answer to this. I know that's why I'm gonna, setting you up. Yell, you're gonna, I'm, you're I'm gonna teeing yell you up. At me. No, I'm teeing you up. You're gonna yell at me for for saying this. This is but the free money because John Kerry and <laughs> free money. I don't want your free money. <laughs> exactly. Um, the uh, John Kerry, because so John Kerry and Democrats, a lot of Democrats, as you point out, uh, voted for that war and uh, and not not two years, not one election cycle uh, later. John Kerry had completely reversed himself uh, and decided to uh, launch an entire war because they discovered that while, uh, you know, there was great unity in the country, especially, you know, the closer you go backwards to 9-11, uh, there was extreme dissatisfaction within their own party about the concept of going to war in Iraq, uh, or even for that matter, less so, but even going to war in Afghanistan, there was, there was extreme dissatisfaction within their own ranks. And, uh, and so Howard John Dean. Kerry had to turn... Had to, exactly, Howard Dean had to turn, and if you look, just had to turn and execute an entire campaign running against the war that he had voted for, which of course, in the end, uh, I would say is why he lost uh, in 2004. And if you go through every election since then, that war vote has played a role in whether Democrats won or lost. Yep. Who has won? Barack Obama. Obama won. He won the primary in 08 because of the war. Yep. It, won, it haunted, and and it haunted that, Hillary Clinton, too, for sure. All the all the way to the general election in 2016. Yep. And I think I think that I think that vote has been and, and we have not evaluate spent enough time evaluating all of this as we should. But I would argue that that vote when we go back and look at it in you know 50 years from today, that vote will have been the most defining political vote uh, of a generation. And well, uh, and the people that got it wrong suffered and the people who got it right uh, benefited. Well, I think that and the TARP bailout uh, will will long, oh, yeah. uh, long ring. Yeah. Um, you know, John Kerry, I was there, uh, John Kerry was in West Virginia, and I was there in 2004 when he made matters worse by talking about supplemental appropriation for the troops in Iraq, uh, against which he voted. Uh, and he said, he was doing with veterans, with West Virginia veterans, and he said, <laughs> actually, I voted for the $87 million before I voted against it. And I was there standing in the press row and I'm looking around at these other people, many of which are national, like big, like Carl Cameron, like the big shot polit uh, political reporters are there. And I'm looking around, I'm like, am I high? Like, did he just say that? Did he just brag about flip-flopping on a vote? Uh, and he did. And then they fed it to him. And the Bush campaign and then, and then was, really, was really good at tacking him up. 
and remember after that, um, they they had all these ads in the shoot, and so they had to go with the and, and if you go back and, and you think about it, and you think about okay, if you didn't have the particulars of the race affecting the race, what would have been their big picture thought at the time? So they, so they had all this footage. And these, these, they would do these events where John Kerry would go out and, and play hockey and go windsurfing. And of course, when you step back and think about it, oh, of course, they were worried about his age and they wanted him to look young Viral. and virile. Yes. And, and Kennedy, so, yes. And so he they changed his middle name to be John him. F. Yes. Yeah. And they, and they went out there and had, and so they had him out there windsurfing. And of course, after the 87 Ford, before I was against it, the Bush campaign was like, oh yeah, and we'll take the windsurfing ad. Thank you very much. I'm going to, I, we're going to drop that into an ad. I hate, I hate to correct you, but uh-huh. the wind, the windsurfing ad was in March of 2004 and it was the welcome to the general election ad. So John Kerry, and they were referring to what you, you identified as your number three scandal about his flip-flopping on the Iraq war. And it was the first time that an incumbent had done that, run a negative. So as soon as Kerry locks up the Democratic nomination, normally in, in the, they, had the, it waiting. they were like, Carl Rove was like, here you go. Do you smell what I'm smoking? <laughs> number two. All right, so we're down to number two. Number two for me is Grover Cleveland's Bastard Child. Wow, you had you just wanted to get bastard in there. I did. Uh, Grover Cleveland's bastard child, eighteen eighty four. So the Democrats did not win the presidency from eighteen sixty until eighteen eighty four with Grover Cleveland, who was what they called a bourbon Democrat. It was a fusion of basically moderate um, Northerners, former Democrats who were very gilded agey, combined with reconstructed Confederates and some of the Scandinavian uh, proto-socialist farmers in the West, the the future William Jennings could, Bryan gang. But, could, I, could, 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 could I could I be a bourbon politician? Even yeah. If even, if I'm not a, uh, even if I'm an unreconstructed Confederate? You can be both. I don't know why you, I, I probably were plenty of unreconstructed Confederates who favored bourbon, so I think it, that would be fine. <laughs> um, so these so Cleveland has this weird coalition, but he is gaining steam. Um, but the local paper in Buffalo gets wind of this story that he's got a love child and it is a big deal. They go with it, right? Uh, they have an affidavit from the woman. She says he's the father. They're publishing it uh, and it becomes just this enormous scandal um the i'll put it i'll put it this way uh the chant from the republicans uh that was uh james blaine uh what the chant from the republicans that year was ma ma where's my pa and they would chant it and they mm. chant it at the conventions, they chant it at rallies and that this guy was the worst, right? So here's the, you know, Gro- uh, Grover Cleveland was uh, no sex symbol, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so, so this, this has been a, you know, th- this is a big deal. Um, but in the end, it doesn't stick. He wins uh, and uh, the Democrats retort was gone to the White House, ha ha ha. 
And I love that one because it's about it's about the power of newspapers. It's about a quainter time. It's about all of that. But but most of all, uh, it's about how when somebody says they've got the goods, right? They're gonna like Gary Hart, like in other cases. Somebody says they've got the goods and they're coming after you. You probably have to do what Cleveland did, what what Clinton did, what well Clinton waited to do it, not on Jen- but on Jennifer Flowers, where it's like, yep here it is and you got to own up to it and you got to go stand there and take your beating uh and uh hopefully move on to other things all right so so this uh that's an awesome one this this, uh tees up my number two uh which is really lame compared to yours yours are a lot more creative than mine uh my number two is pentagon papers Nice. Which of course, were the the papers in 1971, uh, where that were published uh, in, in a, uh, a an episode of great uh, journalism heroism, journalistic heroism, where the New York Times went on ahead and published uh, these papers that revealed that not only was the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War a misguided uh, disaster but that the Pentagon and the government knew that it was a disaster even as they were they were prosecuting the war and sending more boys to into war to get maimed and killed uh which is why it's uh why it's such an important one is because uh it it is truly a matter of life and death but like the your Grover Cleveland uh uh bastard child scandal um, what's interesting about this, and quite frankly, just going through, with, you know, making notes uh, of the, uh, your five and my five, with the exception of only two cases where, uh, in my case, uh, John Kerry, in yours, Gary Hart, um, I, we don't have anybody on here who lost an election due to their scandal. I mean, they lost an election due to a scandal. We, we both have just have two people who lost an election because of the scandal we're talking about. Pentagon Papers, even Richard Nixon did not lose. He would go on the next year to win re-election. Well, now, uh, I don't want to be, I'm not here to be the Nixon defender. No, go ahead. But I will say this. (laughs) Go ahead. What I will say is, so Robert McNamara, the Secretary of Defense under Kennedy and under Johnson. These papers existed as a way for McNamara to assuage his conscience and leave a record to prove that he was right. So McNamara, who had been the CEO of Ford, who was the whiz kid, who was all of these things. And as Vietnam failed, he starts to, in a very corporate America way, catalog the disaster you know, America didn't lose the Vietnam right. War because of our military. We lost because of our our, our politics. And right. he chronicled all of this and then locked it away, right? Like, okay, I'm on the record. It's not my fault. Well, the way Nixon got elected in 68 was on the same message on Vietnam that had made Eisenhower such an easy win in 52, which is, as he called it, peace with dignity. I, I will get us out, right? So the Republicans for most of the 20th century were notable for ending conflicts. And Nixon's message in 68 was the same as Ike's in 52, which is, we'll get out of this thing. 
we will stop this. I don't care if we have to bomb everybody back to the Stone Age or what we have to do, but we are going to get out of this war. And that was Nixon's promise in 68. So I would argue that the Pentagon Papers probably helped Nixon in 72. Right. And, and of course, also, the Pentagon Papers had very a whole lot to do with covered a, a period prior to Nixon's original exactly. election in 68 in, in the first place. And that's, um, and that's why they sent John Kerry to Cambodia. <laughs> to combat Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. That's right. Number. 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 Number one. Five, four, three. Three. Number one. My number one and absolute favorite because it involves the horse whipping of a man uh, is Andrew Jackson's big, the, the bigamy of Andrew Jackson's wife. Uh, Andrew, oh, come on. What? How dare you? That what? would go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to have an, I, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have an opinion about this, but go Point ahead. of order. Okay. Uh, Andy Jackson's point wife. Of, point of order. So Andrew Jackson came from a, poor immigrant Scots-Irish family in South, and they lived in the uh, Waxhaws the, in the area down in uh, on the North Carolina, South Carolina border. Um, and Jackson was just as penniless as possible, had his, the revolutionary, the British had, his brother died, I believe in a British uh, jail, uh, but he had served in the revolution. And after the fact, he starts to, you know, Andrew Jackson was this incredibly bright, incredibly energetic and handsome, tall, athletic guy. And he starts really succeeding and he's getting some access and he's moving up and he's moving into Charleston, South Carolina, and he's becoming sort of a thing. And he decides he's going to take his little grub steak and go out into Tennessee. And when I say that the Tennessee of 1790 <laughs> was a a rough-hewn space. Uh, it is uh, an understatement. So he gets out there and he meets this woman, Rachel, and she was from a very, so she so she is from this uh, important uh, frontier family and they fall very much in love. Now she had been <laughs> with a man, she had been married to a man who, uh, she, who mistreated her uh, who beat her and who basically left her, who had abandoned her essentially, but there had been no divorce. And she do and- know, do, do we know what his name was? Boy, I don't remember. No, but it, but it was, he was not- Was he a Hurt? She was born. <laughs> her, no, her, her, her married name was Robards, but she was a Donaldson by, okay, by yeah, birth. Robards, okay. okay so- yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Old man Robards apparently is a is a blackguard and he is no good and all this business. So she a bitch. so so she and uh, dashing Colonel Jackson, he probably wasn't a colonel yet, but she and dashing Jackson uh, run off, run off and get married. And they do get married before there's a divorce decree. And now, of course, Robards, when he finds out about this, uh, you know, he's got all kinds of rights in those days in terms of what he can demand and what he can ask for. But they gutted out and it was bigamy, right? Because 
she was married. Say you. But the counterclaim from Jackson was you forfeited your rights because you abandoned your wife. So what was she supposed to do? And they end up, uh, they go through the courts uh, and I, I forget exactly how it works out, but Jackson and his wife marry again to so that it will stick. After there's a divorce decree, they get married again. So he's always very understandably touchy about any accusation that his wife, because it would be one thing if somebody said that he had cheated or he had done something, but his wife, who he adored, was the target of the accusation. And it drove an already angry man through the roof. And throughout his career, it would become this focal point. And it was his belief, put it this way, it was a huge issue when he was running for president again in his two runs against uh, John Quincy Adams. And it was his belief, she died after he got elected and before he could get to the White House. I think that's right. And he blamed his political enemies for the, their attacks on his wife's honor and his, this, his very deeply mm. beloved wife. He blamed mm. his rival's attacks on his wife for her untimely death. And when he got to Washington, let me tell you, man, he took it out on him. <laughs> he, he, he brought a righteous anger that was fueled by real resentment over what he thought was the, the besmirching of his wife. Uh, Trump to, has been a wallflower compared to Andrew Jackson. Well, you know what Andrew Jackson did when the guy tried to shoot him? And he was like, Andrew Jackson at this point is like yeah. 72. He beat him with his cane. Mm-hmm. The guy pulls out a pistol, the pistol misfires. If you're gonna to try to shoot Andy Jackson, you better you better come correct because yeah. old man Jackson yeah, exactly. comes and clubs him. My favorite part of the whole thing though is in what I believe was then Nashville, a guy had written a piece where he mentioned the bigamy in the article and Jackson challenged him to a duel and the man would not fight the duel. So Jackson caught him in the town square and horsewhipped him. That's right, right. So my number one, my number one is um, is not not from history. It's something very modern, and it is it is something that that once the, the current fevers have passed, we will be talking about for a long time. Oh boy! And that is, oh boy, that is uh, the uh, the this incredible effort campaign that we have endured. The past four plus years of uh, the current occupant of the White House, Donald John Trump, being investigated uh, at the highest level, starting with the previous administration, uh, for alleged collusion with Russia to uh, to jilt, to tilt, to to rig supposedly the 2016 election. Um to me, if, if, you know, I get it that, you know, President Trump is President Trump and he's, uh, shall we say, unorthodox and he uh, gets people in all kinds of hysterics. Um, but if it were not, you know, I, I think that once the, the, the sort of tenor of the current en- environment uh, subsides and we look back at it, the idea that at the highest level, of uh, our most powerful uh, uh, federal espionage apparatus were turned inward 
on the campaign on members of a campaign um, for presidency at the against political opponents of the of the sitting occupant of the White House at the height of a presidential campaign will go down as one of the truly great scandals in American history. Well, there you have it. There you have it. There are not just five. I, I don't think we had, did we have a single point of overlap? I don't think we did. Uh, although I had, I had Jimmy Carter. I can't remember. Did you have Jimmy Carter as one I did of not. I did not. I did not have Jimmy okay. Carter uh, on my list. I, 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 I had Jimmy Carter, but but I was uh, but then I was advised that, that that could not be one. Well, you know, you could have gone with what was it, uh, Desert One. You could have gone with they, he had some like quasi scandals. You could have picked an individual. One. Or the I, I I actually thought about maybe going with the uh, Killer Rabbit. The Killer scandal, Rabbit that attacked him the in the boat. Was, the UFOs. Yeah, that that wasn't as campaign related as well, you could have. Uh, you could have cited him for uh, lust in his heart. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, who doesn't have a little lust in their heart from time to time? Who among us? Well, brother, heard all I can say yes, is it is. Exactly. It has been. It has been a true pleasure talking to you. I really. We. Uh, I. It's been so long since we've gotten a chance to catch up. This feel. This feels like uh, a pleasure and not work. Yes, indeed. And we'll uh, next time we'll do it in person. So. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at newspodcast.com. Let us know your top five.